Hey, you awake? Welcome to the You Awake podcast. I'm Nalanda and I'm Kemma. We're two twenty-somethings having late-night chats about life, spirituality, and everything in between. Hi. Hey. Hi. <laughs> it's already so funny. Yep. We're trying this new thing that we just talked about. That like I hate podcasting mode. I feel like I'm a little bit performative, so try to make it as natural as possible. We'll just get right to it, as if we're mm-hmm. having a phone call. Mm-hmm. Then I start off with "Hi, hey." <laughs> hey, man, how are you going? I'm good. That's I'm yeah. Good. yeah, yeah. Um, my face is glowing, and yep. it looks greasy, but it's not. It's retinol. It's retinol. Yeah, it's a skincare skincare product. I get it. Stuff. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, girls, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I actually wanted to speak to you. Mm-mm-mm. And we, we purposely reserve this conversation for the podcast because I feel like that way it comes off way more authentic. But I feel like you need to provide some background. Mm-hmm. I had a phone call with Ajahn over the weekend and it's been something that I was like sitting on for a while mm-hmm. that is like in the basement of repressed, unaddressed like suffering. Mm-hmm. And I feel like on a day-to-day, I subconsciously feel like a little bit of my negative energy goes into it, but I just have not had the capacity to open it up because there's just been so much going on. But it's about friends, as I told you. Mm. I think it's, we had this conversation a few months ago, maybe, that I felt really jaded about friends mm-hmm. and friendships. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I talk to you about this from time to time. I feel like in this situation, I needed Ajahn to be the one to say certain things to me mm. and teach <gasps> me. I want to hear it. Yeah. Oh my god. I figured you want to hear it because we talked about this quite a lot. In fact, I actually took down notes after the combo because it's like, this is one of those changes your worldview about things massively conversation. In case it it changes me too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So to give everyone context, I'm someone who is, has been overly dependent on friends, I feel historically consistently and a lot of emotional validation that i need a lot of empathy that i need i usually in the past have gotten from friends and that's why i reach out to friends a lot until this year i think i'm in a place in life i'm 26 i'm approaching my 30s where friends are sort of moving in different directions you know how from school until you graduate this is what i just said to me friends are like your whole world it's not your family it's your friends and then there comes a point where everybody's like nope career partner family And they start diverging and they don't really prioritize friends as much anymore, like naturally. I feel like I'm in that space in my life. I'm at that age. I'm not in that space, but I'm at that age where my peers are doing that, but I'm not Mm -hmm. ready to do that. I still very much feel the need to prioritize my friends. Mm -hmm. And so a few months ago, and I think people have always been listening, like, you know that I've been out of school quite a lot and I've been injured and there's a lot of bumps in the road for me. Up until a few months ago, I hit rock bottom basically. And my usual instinct is to reach out to friends. Going through a breakup, my ankle got really bad overnight, was on crutches overnight basically had to be completely dependent when the the day before I was like independent I was doing things all on my own now I can't even take a cup of water bring it to the couch so naturally turned to friends and this is the first time like to be honest with people I was feeling like like, the, the word I use is unbearable the feeling was really unbearable and I felt suicidal basically and so I reached out to friends everyone was it they felt unavailable to me Mm -hmm. I acknowledged that part of that was like I was also afraid to ask for help like directly Mm -hmm. I usually am good at asking for help, but at that point I was so vulnerable that I think a part of me was afraid that if I directly ask for help and people reject me, like I wouldn't know what to do. Mm. But then the other side of that is also, I think friends were really occupied. Friends just had their own thing going on. Mm -hmm. So long story short, that whole experience made me feel super jaded. Like I don't think I ever reached a point where I had needed more support and not gotten it. Mm -hmm. And so when that happened, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. What really disappointed me was the fact that I felt like I was expressing my feelings and asking for help in my obscure way, but people were prioritizing other things above my suffering. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I have something on at this time. I'm not available. I'm only available at this time. Mm. When actually I just needed help right, right now. I needed people to be around me. I needed physical, emotional support. Like I just needed the comfort of knowing that people were there. I think going through a breakup, like you feel so vulnerable. That's already such a massively like traumatizing experience. And then also being disabled suddenly, like suddenly I had no one to rely on and I lost my independence. So it's like a double hit. And then it was at a point where friends sort of like were not showing up. 
like people would say like yeah reach out whenever but I think a part of me in my heart was like I want people to reach out to me though like I've already sounded out to them that I'm really struggling and that for me was already a call for help but they were just like oh yeah like just let me know whenever but it's like oh no it's like right now actually I need support right now So that experience left me super jaded, super like, I think it happened gradually that I felt abandoned and unsupported and that eventually peaked as the feeling of being a little bit suicidal because Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, I'm so alone. Like I'm so Mm -hmm. unsupported. People are not prioritizing me. But then I do have those few friends. One of them is you who did respond to the call. And then after that, like I got the help that I needed and I flew home. But I think definitely when I look back at that, that was a huge turning point Mm -hmm. and it shattered sort of like this idea that I always had of friends that Mm -hmm. you know people ask like oh do you have lots of close friends who will be there for you if you need them I always confidently said like yeah I have so many of those I know a lot of people don't but I have like 10 of those like they would definitely (laughs) show up and I think maybe at, at that point in my life it was true but just with everything that I've been going through the pandemic and then being not in Australia not in Malaysia not really I suddenly am very isolated from the support network and people are obviously moving on with their lives it's not like during COVID where everyone has each other and everyone's mm-hmm. going through the same thing and you you have that mutual support I felt like I was in my own lockdown mm-hmm. and it was hard to make people understand what that meant because they just were not going through it Mm. so at that point it wasn't I don't think it was true that I had that many friends that would be there those times really show you who those mm. friends are mm-hmm. and it was just like a handful honestly so I think that jadedness you know previous episode I think we did was on like relying on yourself I think that was the time that I was going through those emotions and like turning inward and feeling also a little bit jaded disillusioned and like okay I think it's been like three months now that I've been doing this practice in this mode of like self-reliance and a little bit reaching out to people who I know will be there. Things have sort of settled a little bit. The dust has sort of settled. And then I look at this feeling again and it's like, oh, it's still there. I still feel quite jaded actually. And now the way that I approach friendships is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I think it is healthier, honestly. I think I rely on myself way more for most things or my family. Like I've reconnected recently with really amazing, wholesome family members who in Mm. the past I wasn't very close to and they're actually really Dhamma kind of people. They're actually Mm. practicing Dhamma, which is amazing to have as family. They're like extended family, cousins, auntie. And so they've become part of that external support and then I have other people. But I think for most things, like which you should give yourself, like self-validation, empathy, I turn to myself now and that is a huge change I don't think I've ever learned to do that in my life Mm. and so it is a big growth big upgrade for me and I'm very happy about that because I do feel more well within myself Mm -hmm. but there's also kind of this lingering like fear that if I'm ever in that situation again where I do need support externally and I cannot provide that support to myself because there will be those situations where you need someone other than yourself. I'm afraid that people won't show up. There's a part of me that still feels that and makes me a little bit like don't trust people as easily. Mm. Afraid to like get close. I think in the past I would like be so open, like just open from the get go and just completely lean in 100%. But now it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't really feel like there's a point now because even if I've leaned in 100%, with everyone before like not everyone does the same and leans in 100% so it's just me it's not reciprocal Mm -hmm. so these are just some thoughts that I've been having and I needed to chat to Ajahn because I I know that that's something that I've been feeling and it doesn't feel particularly healthy because like I don't want to be one of those not to judge anybody but I don't want to be one of those people who like oh I've had so many like bad experiences with relationships that I just don't trust anyone anymore or I don't have intimate relationships or I don't open my heart up to people because I don't trust anybody like I don't want to be like that and I don't want to also like make it transactional like oh yeah I'll only be like committed to this relationship if I know that Mm -hmm. you're going to be there for me I don't want to be like that so I I knew that I needed to chat to Jen so I did Got on yeah. the phone call. It was really good. What did he say? Yeah, just told him what was going on. <laughs> and the first thing he said was like, I'm not really the best person to ask because I don't have many close relationships. Mm-hmm. But after a while, he drops some mic drops. Yeah, he, he does. <laughs> yeah. But Ajahn is like that. He's a little bit more uh, yeah, reclusive. He's a monk. 
<laughs> but you know the thing and and that's why i wanted to speak to ajan because it's like i can see how he doesn't really have close relationships in the yeah. sense that hey buddies who like are there for each other who's his bestie like like dnms <laughs> who does he call you know bff who's his like nalanda his triple zero emotional right it's actually himself <laughs> and it's actually the buddha <laughs> and the other day i was like oh ajan where's your home like where is home for you and it's like monks don't think that way <laughs> i was like oh oopsies i forgot you're right yeah. monks don't think that way because there is no home for them yeah. they could literally just pick up their bags and leave anytime yeah and also they don't have a bff yeah 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 exactly and yet you know how he's so generous with all his time and all his like love basically like he, he gives to the community without basically without really expecting anything you don't you feel that from him absolutely absolutely so that's a very different way of relating to people correct i think we had like a group chat one of the sundays this was like a very long time ago during COVID. he gave us the time of day <laughs> yeah to talk to the committee members and i was there and then we were talking about friends and i was like i don't really have many new friends anymore i think i was just sharing something about like the fact that i sometimes can't rely on people because they want something from me and then i think he had a he had a very blank sort of expression because what i got from that conversation really changed my view as well is that he's like but you do your best for people it's almost like you're giving meta right you're giving meta for the sake of the meta yeah and that's it like why would you be expecting things back anyway yeah because because you know if they don't give you anything back then they don't give you anything back but the whole point is that you're creating your meta and you're you're sending it out to people and you're doing it you're helping people yeah and that's it full stop yeah that's 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 what i got from it i was like whoa okay that's kind of (laughs) cool that was a big part of the conversation ah i don't even know how to structure this no just it it's a phone call came out it's a phone call Yeah, no, no, he definitely talked about that. I will get mm. that. So he said, yeah, I don't really have close relationships. But he said, no, there was a point in my life where I did feel that jadedness that you're feeling. Mm. But I just had the realization that this is not serving me. It's not beneficial. It's not a wise way to like live. And it actually just brings you down. doesn't help you in any way. So then he just let go of that. And I'm like, I think I probably asked, like, I was like how did you let go of that? I th- he was jaded? Yeah, I think there was just a point where he just viewed relationships in that way. When he was a monk or pre-monk period? Not too sure. It sounded like probably layperson times. Mm. Not too sure. So then I think he asked me, like, did you communicate that, that you needed help? And I was like, I know I wasn't communicating properly because I was afraid that I would be let down. And I think Ajahn was very straight with me on the phone, which I needed. I needed to hear this stuff from him, but I also know okay. that it comes from like Metta. He was like, don't blame other people if you didn't communicate what you needed. No. Like, don't blame other people. And that's true. Like, I shouldn't blame other people. And he said, Ajahn Buddha Dasa said something. He gave a teaching that essentially, like, people have a right to be selfish. Wow. The fact that he quotes Ajahn Buddha Dasa. Why? Because that's not really, you know, his direct teacher. Oh, okay. That's quite unique. It's quite interesting. Mm. I thought he would take something from Ajahn Chah, you know. Mm. Like, obviously something in a Jan Shah tradition would be. Yeah. But yeah, that's great. No, Ajahn Buddha has said many great things. He's a controversial um, figure in the mm. Sangha world in Thailand because he oh, really? likes to introduce, like, Zen Buddhism in Thailand. And he's, he says some really, like, harsh things to people as well. So maybe it was a harsh lesson and it needed to be from Ajahn Buddha And mm. that's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Communication style. Like, when you texted me that you needed help, yeah. honestly, it didn't come out as, like, yeah. I want SOS, like, yeah, 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 emergency yeah. help. Yeah. Mm. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I think part of me knew that. Okay. Because I'm usually very good at asking for help. I do things like post on my Instagram stories, like, I need help. Someone. Right. <laughs> and then right, people, right, right. all sorts of people respond. But in that situation where I really, really, like, was in dire straits and needed help. But I think in my mind, the way I rationalize it's like, am I going to die? I don't think right. I'm going to die. It's not at that level. I shouldn't bring it to that level of asking right. for help. You doubt. Actually, I would do that for someone else. Mm. Why wouldn't I do it for myself? I would definitely do it for someone. And you said this to me before. It's like, you're a second-class citizen (laughs) for yourself, (laughs) which is true. Well, yeah, and you also don't want to be a burden to people. So you're like, is this really necessary? Is this the actual triple zero call? Like, am I wasting resources or am I wasting people's time? Yeah. 
I think that ties in a lot with my poor self-esteem in general, that Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a burden. That's such a big thing. And especially when I'm feeling vulnerable, I even more don't want to be a burden. And then it reinforces the fact that when people don't respond to my quote-unquote call for help, which is not really a call for help because I'm not really asking for help, that makes me feel like an extra burden. So it's like this weird... So then when Ajahn says, don't blame people if you're not communicating properly, like, that's true. Like, it is on me to do that. And so I told him, like, yeah, Ajahn, I've come up with a system now. It's like code red, code yellow, all of that. Mm -hmm. And since then, it's been better. But I still have that sort of like that scar from that incident. Yeah, he said a lot of things, basically, that it is right that people only have like a few loyal friends in their life. And like what I said at the start, like from school till you graduate, your friends are your whole life. Now it's in a different direction. I'm at the age where people are starting their own families. So that's kind of just happening. Yeah, there's a kind of depression about that that can happen as well. Like people don't reconnect with their high school friends and they kind of want to. Like they're curious about, oh, you know, is Sarah doing such and such? Oh, wow, really? Should I reconnect? I'm not too sure because it's been like 10 years. Mm. And they're sort of straight apart. And so Mm. reconnecting is a little bit awkward for some people because they've not shared any time together. Yeah. Actually, I'm hanging out with some high school dudes that I did not like hang out with during high school, but I'm just going to go and crash their dinner anyways. Yeah. (laughs) That's my way of like, hey, what's up, dudes? And then just reconnecting with people. Hey, what's up? What's up? Yeah. Yeah, I think people were doing that during COVID. I had a yeah. lot of friends reach out to me during COVID that just haven't been speaking in forever. Oh, and that's cute. I think that comes from a place of like, yeah, I want to connect because there's nothing going on, pandemic. Right. And then now it's different. Everyone's still on that trajectory towards family and all of that stuff that at this age is usually what happens, but I'm sort of behind. I'm still in my like early 20s stage where I haven't really completed stuff. And maybe you felt a bit of that too with your PhD. Mm-mm-mm. So <laughs> Ajahn said this mind-blowing thing, right? Which, you know, he does from time to <laughs> time. Basically, nothing has changed. It's the view that needs to change. Mm. Yeah. And it kind of is just like this. It kind of is just like this, that everything in the world will let you down. Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing out there that's secure. And he said that the jadedness that I'm feeling is a little bit samvega. What's that? Like a sense of disillusionment, disenchantment with samsara. Yeah. Because this is really just samsara. Correct. Wow. And that's why when he says nothing has changed, it's the view that needs to change. It's like, oh, damn. Really, nothing has changed. It's like what I've been hanging on to is like this false sense of security. I think a part of me knew that as well. I told him that like part of me knew that yeah, I feel like I can always count on my friends. I always have people. It's like a false narrative that I was telling myself, yeah. And it's a very comforting, like, thing. And I have friends that say that to me, you know. Like, I'll always be here for you. Just reach out. Like, (laughs) I see your face. face. Yeah. (laughs) This needs to be a video recording one. And just the other day, because I've been getting close to someone recently and we've been catching up about life and he's like, oh my god, that's so horrible what you've been going through. Reach out to me anytime, I will always be here. And I'm like, no, you won't. (laughs) Like, Mm. you will have your own life. But he's young, he's like 20. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're still in that space where you think the world is like that. And it's like, I get it, I was there too. And I don't really think like that anymore i know it sounds very sad and very negative and he was like oh my god don't say that like that's so sad i mean that's so sad like we won't know in the future whether i will have time or i won't have time but i mean but, but just that right like my knit like the the yeah. uncertainty of that is like you cannot rely on anyone correct i mean you know when you say that it sounds so cynical but it's actually like how it is yeah. but i think i think the difference is there's a lot of jaded people out there who just don't have the dhamma so then they may never get out of the jadedness. But I feel like the Dhamma offers another way. So I see. can't remember why he brought this up, but he said like he used to lower his expectations of people because he felt like maybe the suffering is from having too high expectations of people. So he'd lower his expectations. But then he found that like, the lower his expectations got, the worse the jadedness got. Mm. And so then one day, and he, he just brought it down to zero, just no expectations of people. Oh, that's good. And he was like, actually, it's very different. Mm. Just totally no expectations versus low expectations. Yeah. Because suddenly you just don't need anything from people. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking about this the other day, like a couple of days after the combo. What sets apart like strangers from our friends, right? 
how come when strangers don't help us, we don't get pissed or hurt? Because mm-hmm. we don't have that expectation of them. They're just strangers. Yeah. But because of the affection, the attachment, there is that expectation that comes with that. So I think I was like trying to understand Ajahn's thinking. And I was like, so Ajahn, when like people do stuff for you, because you say you don't have expectations of people, right? Do you mean you just don't have expectations of anyone? Like, except, you know, like the committee, you expect them yeah, to fulfill a certain say. <laughs> for like the community. He was like, yeah, like, I mean, in terms of the committee, it's more for the monastery, but it's not for me. Like, when when you do something good, like, I just see it as your good qualities. Like, oh, Kema's a good person, rather than Kema did this for me. He's not supposed to think like that. He's a monk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's where I was like, oh, Ajahn. I think when my friends do stuff for me, like, what makes me feel affection for them and what makes me feel, like, close to them is because it makes me feel like it says something about me. When yeah. people show up for me, then it's like, I I am worthy i am cherished by them i am like they are there for me because of me but actually it's mostly because of them who they are as people yeah yeah like why people show up it's mostly their own generosity mm-hmm. and the level that they are comfortable and willing to give to other people it says more about them most of the time it says more about them than about us Mm-hmm. which was the conversation that we were having and it's like yeah 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 that's exactly it i mean if there's a lot of self sort of thoughts about oh she's giving me this present and i feel yeah. so warm because it's about yeah. me this is all about me yeah eventually it becomes a bit of entitlement yeah later on and yeah. then you feel like oh next time like oh there isn't anything oh Oh, yeah, I was expecting yeah. something sort of slightly in the back of my mind and so it becomes a bit of entitlement. Yeah. Mm. So like with one of my friends who you know that I won't name, when she got a boyfriend, I was like, how come you can do all these things for him? <laughs> it's like so crazy. Like, you know, it's not that you can't do it because you're able to do it for someone. You're just not willing to do it for like the rest of your friends. Right. And there was a bit of jealousy because for me, it made me feel like there were certain things that she wasn't doing that I was upset about, but she was able to do that and more for her the partner. Boyfriend. Wow, and the boyfriend. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then bringing it into this way of thinking, it's like, yeah, I was probably entitled, feeling that I should receive that kind of treatment that I expect because of the nature of our relationship. And so I think when Ajahn said that, I was like, whoa, like there's no self in your relationships. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're not in the equation. Oh, that's so deep. That's really deep. It's just that. that person. <laughs> it's just it's just good qualities, right? Yes. Yes. And so that like what he said to you, that's why there's no expectation. Like mm-hmm. I just do this for the sake of it's from me. It's completely from me. I don't need anything from them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. likewise. Yeah. Yeah. I think my conversation with him was more about boundaries. So just mm-hmm. being able to set boundaries because I was being asked to do like so many things for the Thai community. Mm translate this do this tie up dancing singing teaching blah like just too much and i was just giving 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 yeah. until i just i was like what am i doing this for actually like do i feel good when i give if i don't feel good i'll stop and then i stop but the way he phrased it made me realize do i have any expectation for things to be returned to me is it monetary do i need social status in the thai community or not or but it was just i'm tired yeah just tired of yeah. giving too much yeah yeah i think that is very normal mm. and i think when we broke it down like that it's like oh i expect stuff from like my relationships that's mm. the pressure that i put on people or on those relationships that i get something back when i think with the way ajahn or the monks think it's, it's so more different. like there's no self it's like anatta right so this is why it's so deep it's not there's no self yeah. there holy shit like even at the level of thought like, the way he receives things is already so different from everyone else. You know what I mean? Like, so so when he said that, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And then I was like, no, John, I like take everything super personal. He was like, oh, if you are a monk and people bowing down to you, like that, that would mess you. I was like, I would turn into like a megalomaniac. Like, I would just be like obsessed with power and, and yeah. fame. Like, honestly, yeah because just take everything personally so wasn't there a monk who got hit by ajahn cha or something like he he was like got oh, kicked praise got kicked yeah i think it's ajahn yana, ajahn yana okay. anyways okay he was like massaging yeah and then and then he got praised and he felt really good he's like sort of like smiling to himself and then cha just gave him the biggest kick because <laughs> he took it personally yeah. yeah yeah not asking to get kicked though ajahn yeah <laughs> <laughs> well he can't kick me anyways 
Yeah. No, he can't. Oh. <laughs> Pros and cons. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the highlight of the convo for me. Mm-hmm. Understanding that he thinks that way. Because then I, I was like telling him like, yeah, I was thinking what sets apart the friends that show up for me and the friends that don't. It's actually just more about them. Like it's mostly them. Sometimes it's us, but it's mostly them. And I realized as people, they're just a certain kind of people. Like they practice certain qualities. You know, sometimes I think like, oh, if I don't take things personally, it feels so dry. Everything just feels so dry because... I don't know, I'm a very sentimental person. I think mm-hmm. historically in my relationship since childhood, I've always feel like, oh, affection. Like yeah. needing to feel special in someone's life. Mm. I always chase after that feeling. Mm-hmm. I think that's why romantically I go after emotionally unavailable people because it's like, oh yeah, they don't have many people around them, but they choose me. Right. I'm and special. You want to be the special <laughs> star in their life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get it. Yeah. And it's monumentally f-ed up. It's f-ed up. It's a warm fuzzy feeling. No, it's not warm fuzzy feeling. It's oh. it's a high. It's like oh. a kick. It's like a drug thing. Mm. And you just keep needing that validation over and over again to know that you're special. But because they are emotionally unavailable, you don't always get that validation. So it's like you're taking drugs. Yeah, this is where the lack of self-confidence also sort of hits in as well. That's that's hard. When actually, if I can give myself most of the things that I need to Mm -hmm. feel warm and fuzzy, Mm -hmm. the love, the validation, Mm -hmm. the empathy, I don't Mm -hmm. need this weird dynamic of an emotionally unavailable person. Correct. Same with friendships. Mm. I don't need things from people. So I've been sitting with all of this, right? Like after speaking to Aja, I mean, there's other stuff that we talked about. Yeah, because I was like, okay, I get what you're saying. And I get that, yeah, I shouldn't be over-reliant on people. But like for me, it's really during those times where I really just need someone and like I don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I recognize why I rely on friends so much. I've reflected on it quite a lot. Mom dying. Mm. I think I never really understood how big of a loss that was mm-hmm. when I was younger because mm-hmm. I immediately turned to friends. I immediately had friend support consistently until like maybe this year where I'm like, oh, actually, friends are not really there for you mm-hmm. all the time, not like family. And so losing mom, I had a therapist ask me this the other day. When you think of mom, what do you think of? I'm like nourishing, supportive, caring, validating, empathetic. And so losing that, she was like pretty much my sole source of all of that in my family. Losing that. And then, okay, I had friends. I think I never was accustomed to looking for support within family because I always had friends. But as I speak to more and more people, as I grow up and stuff, like I realize a lot of people turn back to family for that kind of support. They don't really go to friends. Mm-hmm. like they might have a few friends here and there but they're mostly like all about family and that is way more pronounced as they get older and they have their own families as well it's like you don't really see friends as much because most of your time is spent on family mm-hmm. and i always had the idealistic sort of view that like oh you know don't have to be bonded to family or over reliant on family because family can be super toxic and not safe as long as i have friends like they can be my new family mm-hmm. which is very idealistic And clearly, it's not my reality at the moment. So understanding why I'm over-reliant on friends is because of that family dynamic. I've never learned to sort of like have that bond with family, which is now like something that I'm cultivating in my life with extended family. And I can see how I've found a more reliable external form of support, which is which is my cousins and my auntie. And they're very generous people by themselves, independent of anything. They have those qualities of generosity and compassion, which is like, I feel so grateful that we are related and that they are part of my life. And so that has relieved some of the, that sense of like loss of friends and of mom. But yeah, like I was telling Ajahn, like I'm really afraid of being in that situation again because being disabled and I, as I speak to a lot of people, I realize not many people understand that feeling of being disabled. Absolutely not. Mm being sick, being completely dependent on someone else, where you've lost your independence. Before all this stuff with my ankle, I felt it once with my arm, like right after surgery, not being able to do anything. I think when my family left already and I was like living alone in Melbourne, just trying to manage. It's very vulnerable, very, very vulnerable. Mm. I think it just brings up a lot of feelings of helplessness 
it almost brings you back to like a baby animal stage mm. where you can't do anything on your own and to be in that position yeah emotionally was very uncomfortable for me it every single very time. lonely too very yeah. lonely yeah 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 going into my ankle surgery the first one like i knew i would feel like that and so i tried to set up my environment as best as possible so that i wouldn't feel like that i made sure that i had family around i had friends all around me supportive like my friends knew that i was going to surgery like i had that emotional support so after my first surgery i didn't feel like that very much but second surgery was definitely unexpected the relapse of the injury was unexpected and i was in that situation again so it's like no matter how much you try to prep this is just a condition of life because we have this body and we are in samsara it will happen we will reach a point i don't know maybe some people have like extremely good karma where they might never reach that point where they are completely alone like like you will reach that point at some point in your life where you do have to go through these things alone and it's very very daunting when you haven't prepared for it in your mind mm. so i was telling ajan i'm afraid of that happening because ajan himself he's been paralyzed before yeah i don't know if you know yeah i think quadriplegic i was going to say yeah quadriplegic yeah. yeah that means like partially paralyzed hernia like in the back in the spine right cord. right right yeah. was it from bungee jumping it was from bungee jumping that's why i have that yeah. off the list of the bucket list okay good of things that i was gonna do <laughs> good so yeah jam was paralyzed for a while i don't know for how long six months he said oh really hmm. god yeah like he was already decided that he wanted to be a monk and yeah. then this is like right 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 karmic level shit just yeah preventing him from yeah, it's doing probably that. some come i think he said that right yeah 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 amazing i think i asked him like Ajay, at that time were you practicing dhamma he was like i didn't know how to practice no that's right so he knows that feeling he knows that feeling of vulnerability and he was like i think that suffering is not so much the vulnerable feelings of being injured it's more like the associations that you have like the ideas of yourself for example, like, I am someone who is capable or whatever. Like, those identifications that are so, like, deep that you don't even challenge them until you're put in a situation where you literally cannot even do anything. It's basically mm. self, the view of self, mm. the attachment to the, the self. Yeah, very true. Which is very deep. And because we know the Dhamma, I don't know how other people deal with it, like, without the Dhamma. But, like, because we know the Dhamma, we know that the only way is to be liberated from the self, right? Mm. Because how, how else? I think when Ajahn was talking, I was like, wow, there's really no other way. There's really no other way except to like get enlightened. Yep. This is a condition that we cannot escape as long as we're here. That's why we have to practice. We've got to practice, Kema. Yeah. <sighs> At least sort of bana or something. <laughs> yeah. At least. Ajahn's like, yeah, that's achievable. I'm like, alrighty. Yeah. <laughs> On the topic of vulnerability, Ajahn's been injured another time. He broke his foot when he was oh, living I mean, in Thailand, one okay. of the monasteries. And very rural, had to go out for Pindapa. He couldn't because he broke his foot. So what he did was he was like fasting, I think like three times a week, so that he wouldn't have to go out for Pindapa and like so that he could rest. And I think I, I asked him like, how do you deal with that vulnerability, right? He was like, reflect on those who have it harder. There are people out there who have it harder and they can make it through. And a little bit of stubbornness. And I'm like, what, what do you mean by stubbornness? It's like stubbornness that you won't be defeated by this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man. Shut the front door. Shut the front door. Wait, because um, that first part of like, okay, remind yourself that you're not as like in the worst position possible. Think about people who really don't have limbs and stuff. How useful is that to say to a person when they're really depressed? Okay, so I think as Ajahn was saying that, I was like, you know, if someone were to say that to me, I didn't say this to him, but like probably thinking, if someone were to say that to me, like, oh yeah, other people have it worse, it dismisses that emotion, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's about dismissing it. I think it's like, yeah, acknowledging that this sucks, but there are people out there who have it suckier and they still make it through. It's more like an encouragement rather than dismissive. Because I didn't say that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, probably not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At all. I would have taken it in a dismissive way. I had my dad say that to me. And I was like, yeah, yeah but yeah. that doesn't like... I think my nature is to invalidate myself anyway. So that kind of phrasing doesn't help me. Yeah, and it's almost like, well, my suffering is also real, you know. Yeah. And then saying that it's totally less less of a thing. Yeah. I was like, well, right now I'm feeling it deep. 
and yeah. you're dismissing it yeah so yeah but that's all about self as well it's a lot of self and ego yeah, and stuff yeah, in there. yeah 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 i think i said to ajan like it's really hard to think that way when the mm. feeling of vulnerability is so overwhelming because i'm really just focused on my suffering i don't have the capacity to have that kind of perspective at that time and then that's when he said like it's more about the association did you say anything about surrendering like sort of surrendering to yeah them? yeah so i think he said the first step acknowledging the reality being with the reality he quoted the quail's protection do you know that um, i think i've heard of it yeah mm. in one of the buddha's past lives he was a baby quail and I think his parents had abandoned him. There was a forest fire. And the Buddha said, like, as a quail, baby quail, like, by the power of the truth that I am helpless. Something like, I don't have wings or I don't have feathers that help me fly. My legs don't work. My parents have abandoned me. By the power of this truth, may the fire go back. And the fire oh, went wow. back. Yeah. Dude. Feels. Hits the, the feels. feels. The feels. The feels. Just by the power of acknowledging that truth that I'm helpless mm. right now. Mm. I, I can't, I don't know what to do. That already helps you. And so, yeah, a little bit like, okay, not dismissing, not being like, yeah, but other people have it worse. I, it's okay, like, this is nothing. Like, I think that's real toxic masculinity, like, mentality, toxic positivity. Mm. It's more like, shit, like, completely f***ed up. Don't you realize I swear a lot more when I'm relaxed? Anyway, that's okay. We'll just bleep through that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just completely in a f- up situation. Got no one acknowledge that. That's a little bit of meta as well, you know. Like, it's okay. I see myself. I hear this truth, mm. and you start from there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Surrendering control as well. Of like, how can I make this better? Just sort of yeah, surrender that. Yeah. I think I also mentioned like reflecting on your karma, that maybe some past karma is at play. And I said to Ajahn, Ajahn, I think you need to correct my view on this because every time people talk about karma and it's like bad karma specifically, I always have a really negative response to that because in my head, karma seems like deterministic. It's almost like, oh yeah, I have sinned in the past. That's why mm-hmm. I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. So what's a wise way? I know like you're trying to use this as a wise reflection for like equanimity but like i don't know how to reflect and he was like oh okay not so much deterministic karma is changeable like your past karma is your inheritance but the actions that you do now what matter more like you don't have to suffer from the past karma Mm -hmm. so i was like okay that's really encouraging actually to look at it like that there's something i can do now that will change the situation Mm -hmm. and then i said like yeah I'm someone who like really attaches to the fantasies and the stories and the happy endings, almost like the Disney rom-comness of life, mm-hmm. like the, mm-hmm. the fantasizing. And he was like, can you fantasize about Kema being disabled but living a very happy and fulfilling life? And I was like, oh, and he was like, oh, maybe your imagination's not that deep. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, yeah, it's interesting that we all want happy endings when nobody gets them. And I'm like, oh, and then he's like, the only happy ending is that Kemma gets enlightened. Yeah. Yes, holy <gasps> shit. Kemma needs to get enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's basically the conversation. You basically need to be a nun now. Dude, that's why, like, that's why I feel like that conversation is like, there's no other way, which, like, we've been new. We've been new, there's no other way. But I think a part of me, wants to cling to the delusion that there is something I, I, I'm sure like all of us who are yeah. not yet enlightened we're clinging to some idea that there's still some form of security or happiness in samsara somewhere and we can get it but we probably have to suffer and be disappointed again and again become jaded like that to finally be like that there's nothing there there's nothing mm-hmm. let me go all the way the other side against the stream and like just if you have enough yes life left in you then yes dude i actually feel like you know people who like just ordain straight up in this life because there's nothing for them in worldly life like maybe they have maxed out that like correct yeah and have enough insight you know correct past life they've done it they've done it all yeah yeah i I really feel that some people just know you know they're born and it's like you know what i've had enough so let's go yeah and like the quote, nothing ever goes away until you learn what you need to learn from it. Mm. And so I know in my head, like what is tying me to samsara, 
I mean, this is at least like a really gross deformment that I can like identify. Mm-hmm. The promise of like true love, <laughs> romance. That yeah. will be my security in samsara. Yeah. yeah. So, but you see, I don't believe you until I experience it for myself. Until I have like learned enough and suffered enough that like, yep, it's it's true. Verified. True love is bullshit. Doesn't exist. Because you see, like with friendships, I don't think I ever believed. I had so many people like my my dad says to me all the time, friends are not gonna always be there for you. Like, but I'm like, no, my friends are different. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about because you don't have those friends. <laughs> you watch too many sh- American shows. Too many American friends. The friends show. Yeah. <laughs> Literally friends. <laughs> are they even still in touch? Probably not even I'll in touch anymore. You no, they BS. won't. <laughs> Yeah, so that was a conversation. Actually, it was really funny. He was like, because I told him someone said to me that there's no one that can be there for you 100% but yourself. And then when we're putting it on the phone, Ajahn was like, I'll be there for you 99% of the time. I was like, that's plenty, Ajahn. That's great. That's plenty. Oh, I think that conversation made me feel really... It's like, it's very uncomfortable because he's saying there's no other way. Your, everything you're feeling is accurate and I'm not feeling good. Like, I'm not... Mm-hmm. It shatters that, like, false bubble mm-hmm. that I had. So I've been sitting with this conversation. I've been sitting with all these reflections. And as I as I consolidate what he said, like, I actually feel like it's all okay mm-hmm. because I think I am doing what I need to do, relying more on myself and all of that. But, you know, enlightenment, not yet, lah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I told John, like, you know, that's why sometimes I feel like the Dhamma is this really bitter medicine that's really hard to swallow because it's all about cutting through the bullshit of samsara. It's not buying into any of the fairy tale, happy ending stuff. It's actually really difficult to sit with the truth of it. And he was just like, mm, yeah. But it's like the medicine that you turn to when you realize that the Buddha is right and when you've like really suffered enough. Lah. Yeah. My take on all of this is that. Like, I just had this image of a burning room just then of, like, you, you said you're relying on family right now. And family are people who would sort of suffer with you for as long as they can probably bear it because, you know, blood, you know. Yeah. So they're blood related to you. They're related. They feel like, okay, we, we got to do something. And so they'll, they'll be in this burning room with you. Yeah. But eventually they'll also get up. They'll get up and they'll leave. Yeah, yeah. And so you end up being in the burning room alone. Yeah. That's what I get the sense of like, maybe there's a scale there. Like some friends will try and be there for as long as they can yeah. in this burning room. Eventually yeah. they will sort of get up. And it's yeah. like, sort of like a game where you play and see who's going to get up first. Lots yeah. of people get up. Maybe your parents will, will, will be there for you until the end. But like they'll have to go as well. And then you end up yeah. being very alone. Yeah. And I think I, I knew this sort of feeling when I was younger and because being an only child as well who knows that there's a lot of like family dynamic that is very very toxic and I just sort of see it in my mom as well a lot that she has nobody yeah and then apart from her I have nobody yeah and my friends are nice and stuff but after school they're gone yeah also like they don't have the obligation to be with me I'm just another stranger technically and I moved schools quite a lot. So there's a lot of like, I'm your friend for like a term. Bye-bye. And then we break apart. Yeah. So there's a lot of just me moving around. Yeah. And knowing that my parents are elderly, for example, how can I rely on them? You know, yeah. even today, yeah. now, like mentally degrading, physically degrading, emotionally yeah. unstable people. Yeah. How can I? Like there's yeah. no one. Even my romantic relationship with the boyfriend. Eventually, if he would like to move to Thailand to do something else for his own life, for his own good, he might like to help his own parents one day. I have to let go. Bye-bye. But it's almost like, yes, I honor that you want to do this. I'm not going to like drag him away from from his obligations of being a good son, for example. I'm not going to chain him to like, you're my partner, you're staying here, you're my slave now if he wants to go he goes and that's the ultimate love i think if he wants to be a monk go ahead be a monk yeah 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 so who ends up being here no one exactly exactly. there's no one here yeah and i think i knew that from a very young age so yeah yeah i think as i like yeah as i have conversations with people it's like 
it's all just we're all just on morphine we're all just on painkillers our relationships are all just painkillers to numb us from the reality that we are fundamentally alone it's almost like everything that we do in samsara when it comes to pleasure Mm. is to numb us from that and then it's like the dhamma is like the tough pill like shoving it down your throat that like this is reality so like that image that you're talking about i very much get what you're saying that that's Mm. what i'm starting to feel everybody that i know that everyone that i'm relying on right now is gonna leave or die and and so yeah i had a conversation with ajan right i was like yeah relying more on family because i think we talked about how family bonds are different he was like yep that's true yep yeah. And then I said, but you know, like my dad right now, like there's some toxic dynamics there. I don't feel I can rely on him. So that makes me want to look for security elsewhere. And then friends, you know, I can't rely on them. Right. Then he's like running around. Yeah. Then he's like, but through all of this, who has been there for you the most? Like your dad. And then, then he goes like, wait till he dies. Wait till your dad dies. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of just, so blunt and i mean but that that is true but yeah so so that was his point and then that also like him saying that helps me a little bit let go of whatever resentment that i hold on to right but that image that you're talking about i get it like eventually there's no one and so when ajan says everything in the world will let you down that's probably what he means Mm. and so then it really makes me think like there's no other way enlightenment there's some talks that Ajahn Tanisaro has the Buddha's relationship advice and when for when the world lets you down. Mm. Basically the same topics. And it's like the Buddha says there is a happiness that is permanent, secure, mm. lasting. Mm. It's never going to change. Mm. I think when you've experienced enough of samsara and been burned enough mm. from trying to hang on to things that are impermanent, I think that's when the disenchantment sets in and you're like... I want that lasting, permanent, secure happiness. That's right. That's why people ordain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think I've just been sitting with this information. Jen, like, yep, that's plenty for me to reflect on. It's very daunting. We don't think about this a lot. I don't think many people out there think about this. It's sad. And that's yeah. why people don't want to think about it. I think it's like death. It's like one of those things where it's like, you know, death is coming, but you just don't want to think about it. Or like yeah. you just distract yourself from it endlessly and then it's here. And you're not prepared. Yeah. Yeah. You just need to go head on and just fight it. You have to talk about it. You take yeah. the bull by the horns and you talk about it. Yeah. You need to reflect on it daily. Wait, wasn't it reflect on it every breath that you take? You gotta death. reflect on like death. Mm. Oh, as many times as possible. <laughs> yeah. I think before I'm like, oh, I can't do this reflection. It stresses me out. And then it's like, oh, no, it's like... Did you watch the Anna Akano video I sent you? I have not. I'll link it in the show notes as well. It's so good. It's basically her... Oh, wait, no, it might be another video. She has a video about like her giving up drinking. Mm-hmm. And she quotes Oprah or someone, Brianna Weiss. Uh, yeah. The intuition or like the thing that is very aligned with your soul, the universe whispers it to you first. Mm-hmm. And then the more you don't listen, eventually it screams and it shouts until you listen. And so for Anna Kano, it's like drinking, it's like relationships. So I feel like this is one of those things where it's like there's a voice or like a knowing there that's like, yep, whispering. it's coming, it's right. whispering. And then as you get older, 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 sick, aged, death is here, it's screaming and you cannot, you cannot run away. Mm. So we have to listen to the whispers. Yeah. Yeah, your thing is relationships and stuff, which I remember the time when you told me about, like, finding a perfect person, for example. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) How do I talk to her? (laughs) How do I tell her this message? No, there's no perfect person. Yeah. No, dude, it's one of those things, right? I just come to terms with, no matter what you say to me, even now, even though I'm like, I can laugh with you, I still believe there is someone out there. I still believe. No, there's Not hope. until I'm yeah. burned enough. Yeah. I, I need to be burned. Gotta go through a hundred men. A <laughs> hundred lifetimes of men, maybe. <laughs> like, you know? 
Because yeah. I feel like some things, it's like, I would not have come to this conclusion and all this insight without what I've been through, which is a lot, mm. like years of delusion, probably lifetimes of delusion of like believing that friends will always be there for you and all that shit, right? Like, mm. yeah. Yeah, whenever somebody's like, you can call me anytime. I'm like, mm, thank you. Can I? It's part of a phrase that they have to say before they hang up the phone yeah. or something, you know? Because yeah. they it's half true and it's half not true. Yeah. See, like, no, when I say something like that, I do mean it. So yeah. then I said that to Adrian. I'm like, Adrian, but like, I would do it, right? Like, why wouldn't other people do it? That's what I think. And he's like, because mm-hmm. they're not you. Right. And also, they're not obligated. Like, you know, if they say something, they change their mind and they got stuff on. Yeah. I think I went on about something. And then Anjan was like, you're still blaming other people. (laughs) Really? Yep, I am. I love when he calls us out. I love it. It actually hits home. And I mean, these are the things that sit with me. I feel like, you know, Anjan knows when to switch that on, which is really good. Oh, yeah. Especially via email. (laughs) (laughs) He has this arrow and then he just boom in the heart. And he's like, oh, yeah. Give me five business days to process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Damn. Yeah. Yeah, link those um for the people. I love Anna Akana. Yeah, she has these great insights and as she grows, you, you sort of see her videos and their video essays are really nicely structured and everything. Mm. But she had so much pain from losing her sister to suicide. Oh, and that's how she got into like therapy and then she's sharing a lot of that and a lot of toxic things in her life as well just came from like she was talking to her sister and then she was blaming her sister the next thing she knows dead so yeah she blames herself a lot for that so yeah it's very very useful so yeah yeah i think i've heard of her being quite famous but like never really got into her but yeah just stumbled upon that video about drinking and then the link that i send you which i'll link below is about how to validate yourself and i'm very much in that space at the moment of doing that and the way she she makes like a skit of basically her talking to herself it's like she's gone on a bad date and usually like she needs to like turn to her friends and like the group text to know how to feel Mm-hmm. Or like what the next step should be. But she's like, no, 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 don't do that. Let me consult my own people, which are like different parts of herself. It's this really cute skit. Yeah, she's very self-aware to be able to yeah. deconstruct all that. Mm. Yeah, I love it. So that was a very long talk though with Ajahn. Almost two hours. Was, it was. Mm. Yeah. I already knew after that. I was like, I need to sit with this. And I think before the call, I already knew like, I don't think there's going to be much that he says to me. Because I'm pretty sure what I'm experiencing is just Dhamma. <laughs> It's just reality. And I think I just don't really know how to sit with it because mm. it's very uncomfortable. It's disappointing. You know, if you step into psychotherapy, because people get therapy, right, in situations like this, mm. it's almost like in the end, they don't really have a solution for you. Like the right. solutions are just from samsara and it's never transcendent. Right. Right. Yeah. I just had that thought in my head as well. Like, because psychiatrists and psychologists, therapists, they have a set thing that they give you like a set a guide yeah this doesn't work they come and they have another thing to give you once they run out of those list of things tools it's just like well there's really nothing else in my toolbox for you yeah but i guess there's some usefulness in it you know there is i Mm. think when you're trying to direct your thinking to be in line with dharma and you know that dharma is eventually where you need to be like the the dharma way of thinking but i feel like if they're coming from and i always remember what ajan said to me that you don't want to be too well adjusted to samsara Mm. by going to therapy and relying on therapy and it's so true because all the coping mechanisms or whatever they give you to help you go through all of this is still gonna be it binds you to samsara, it keeps you in samsara. It's always like some sort of distraction or like thinking this way, more positive, whatever. Like, oh yeah, you just need to move through this period of our life right now. Like, But mm-hmm. the Dhamma is, it's a hard to swallow pill because this is reality. If I actually just be with reality and all the feelings that I'm feeling, it's fully uncomfortable. How do I not just deal with it, but how do I like transcend this? Yeah, very raw then. Yeah, very raw. Not the same at all. Hmm. so i saw another therapist the other day for the parent stuff right and it's like can i already tell she's not like because the answer and the dharma is just meta a lot of it's just meta and like letting go and 
but you know psychotherapy goes into your, your childhood like all the stories and like mm-hmm. it's like a little bit sometimes it's a little bit a waste of time it's like yeah. the dhamma doesn't go into your childhood trauma the dhamma's like yeah. right here right now let it go but does it give answers to some questions that you might have about your tendencies like yeah 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 so i think i think that could be helpful and that's why i'm like yep mm. could be worthwhile there might be some things that i still don't see mm. But I think marrying both of it together would be good. I'm trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Marrying. Just the way I speak also, I think, doesn't help certain situations. And I just feel like if there was a way to not make other people suffer as I'm suffering in a conversation, let's let's not make conflict out of nothing, for example. I don't want my mum to, like, stress out and burst something in her brain, right? So, like, just, like, talk nicely and how do I not make everybody suffer in this room right now if i can direct my speech carefully and i'll use dhamma as well but there may be tools out there that i can also use so that's how like i'm marrying it mm. yeah. at the moment so but yeah thanks for sharing your conversation with ajan with me yeah thanks because for i'm sure it's really beneficial to others as well who are reliant and you know i think it needed to come from him for sure yeah. I think it, there were certain situations where I thought I could have said something. There were certain times like, you know, you and that friend and yeah. you're like, she's like the most perfect, most compatible person. Almost like if she was a guy, I would marry him. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. go for it. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. It wasn't the time though. It wasn't the yeah, time. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't. That. Yeah, and I said that to Ajahn at the start of the call as well. I feel like now is the time for me to have this kind of conversation and reflection because I needed to go through all of that, learn like a foundation of loving kindness before I can even stand to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. So well done with the right speech and the mindfulness. (laughs) The delayed speech. (laughs) It's good. I was telling you like this is dhamma. Like what you're going through is so much growth. Like. Ew, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I was like, what do I want to? It's so uncomfortable. Baby just thrashing on the I floor. I don't want to. She's having a tantrum. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Yeah. And then John's answer is like, yeah, come, come, come enlightenment this way. This way. Oh, this is how you're going to get out. Exit this way. A little bit unrelated, but do you sometimes feel like after we get enlightened, you know, if we ever get there, it'll be like, oh, that's it? I just needed to let go of this one thing. I know, right? It was all a lie. Why Why did I spend like j- bajillion lifetimes suffering like that when actually this is so much better? You know, you know, you know those situations? But we won't be able to enjoy it very much because like we're just, we're done, right? Wait, where would we be? Okay, we're getting into what is Nirvana. Right. I don't know. We'll be wandering it, around. It'll be sweet as. Right. But you know, I feel like it's one of those things where like, why didn't I do this the whole time? Like, it's so much better. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think somebody said to me, like, is literally right under your nose because it's such a close thing. People don't see it. But it's actually very close by. Like, so keep in mind. Dang. <laughs> listeners out there who are wanting enlightenment it could be right under your nose so wipe it wipe your nose wipe your nose <laughs> mm. Mm. just get to the first step sodabana yeah 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 because john's like you can do it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if, if john tells yeah. me yes but do it for you like you've been sitting with some of these reflections since you were a child I think because the suffering was was real like yeah. when I was a child I didn't have there's no network there's no security there's no blanket yeah and you feel very vulnerable and yeah. you stand out like I yeah. stood out and I realized that I'm the target of a lot of things thief I'm the target of kidnapping I'm the target of people looking at me I'm the target of men and unwanted sleazy unrequited men who are like what are they gonna f- do to me like you know yeah and there's a lot of insecurity, like just um, no. which in hindsight now was a lot of suffering, but also so much learning. So I think I gained a lot from suffering then. Yeah. But there was this area of like loneliness also. There's a little bit of sadness of knowing that, yeah, I am alone. 
I can't rely on the Buddhist community too much. There will be chants maybe from time to time. But, you know, to what extent? To what extent, really? To what extent? Truly to what extent? Everyone's actually just suffering as well. So when you're asking people, can you be there for me? Sometimes they can't even be there for themselves. Yeah. Like, they're suffering too. Like, a lot of people are. So you can't really ask too much. And there's also the idea of, like, let's say something happened, war, I don't know something just happened that I don't have anybody there's this last question will I be okay with with like somebody has to be there for me and I'll be there for me you have yeah. to be the hero you yeah. have to stand up so at yeah. the beginning of the episode when you're like who do I rely on when there's certain situations where I can't rely on myself the answer is always going to be you because yeah you have that one decision of like ending life and it comes from you yeah and so mm. technically you're like you're playing god with yourself yeah you're the one who can end life and you're the one who who can we just can keep just going keep going yeah, yeah yeah wow that's huge yeah like ajan said the stubbornness of not being defeated by this it's it's you and it's like yeah there might not be those people that can sort of like take care of you but it's like you can find ways to take care of yourself yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm just this sort of like period where I'm reflecting on all of this. I feel like I want to grow so much that the next time I'm in a situation like this, it just won't be the same. Like, I just won't. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel do. that because it will happen. It will. It will. Yeah. 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 You just need to sit through it. And unfortunately, this conversation could be triggering also. Just, you know, disclaimer out there that, you know, because we're talking about a lot of things like suicide yeah. and escaping and that sort of thing. Because I think. A lot of the time when, when people who are really, really are alone and they think about it, they're like, well, let's go, escape. And yeah. they'll hit that escape button and they'll go. Yeah. Because it's the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Dude, like like I said, like everyone's experiencing the Dhamma is in the reality. They're experiencing the reality. And then some people don't have the Dhamma that the Buddha thought. They just have no idea. Mm. And like that's insane. I mean, it's insane for me to think about because... If I don't have the Dhamma, there's, there's nothing, dude. There's nothing this world can offer me that eases the suffering. It's just whether I'm will- willing to endure it or not. And it's so easy to just be like... And that's why nihilistic attitudes... I mean, sometimes I think about this. There's just so many manifestations of behaviors that people do mm. that seems so bizarre. But actually, it's all normal because it all comes from the same kind of thing of fear of death, fear of losing a sense of... Mm-hmm. Like, every everything is explainable. And that's why the Dhamma's all around us, right? So, right, like, it's right. just insane to me, like... You mean people's toxic, weird behaviours? Or... Yeah, like, you know, if people are, like... Psychotic. <laughs> this is this is quite... Like, people having orgies or, like, whatever yeah. f***ed up shit that goes on out there. <laughs> Japan, you know, Japan, number one at the f***ed up shit, like... Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Japanese people. <laughs> Sorry, Singhasanishita. <laughs> it's just manifestations <laughs> of... Whatever, like, that's in the mind. And, like, a lot of it's just coping mechanisms. Don't know how to deal. Mm. That's why the Dhamma is, like, you know, the monks talk about it. It's so precious, so next level. Like, the only thing that can liberate you. Because it really, like... Is there anything else in the world? I, I don't know. Go to psychotherapy. Like, my first therapist... This is why I'm seeing another therapist. Because I feel like I need more experience. But also, the fact that sometimes she just is, like... This is just how it is. <laughs> and And maybe she's a bit more legit right in being able to say that yeah this is just how it is it's very sad Mm. there's nothing there's nothing else there's nothing psychotherapy can even offer in this situation because how do you fight that reality there's nothing ma Mm. are we just all like also very hypnotized by like shows and things like that to make us feel like we're part of a community also Dude, I think that's why that precept exists for the eight precepts that you just entertainment because Mm. it's just a numbing, it's a painkiller, escape, Mm. delusional. You know how medicine makes you delusional? It's a little Mm. bit like that. Mm. Of thinking that there's a happy ending in every movie is always a nice happy ending. Americans. Americans. (laughs) Disney! Like, just stop it. Play Mickey Mouse. Yeah. 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 So we're waking up a little bit. We're waking up from all the shows and Disney and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to our experiences about like so many things and 
Yeah. I feel like I mumble a lot more when I'm like not in podcast mode. It's natural. People can understand. It's natural. I think I am as well. A lot of beeping out. Bleep, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, there's a lot of um, swearing. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to beep it out. I actually love editing beeps in. (laughs) It's just entertaining. (laughs) Yeah, do that then. (laughs) I'll do that. All right, guys, so we do have an Instagram page. It's called youawake underscore podcast. Let us know about your experiences with everything that we've talked about and hit all the key points and everything. You know, share your thoughts as well. Questions, send them through. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for listening to us. (laughs) Why are you laughing? I don't know. I don't know. I'm out of it. It's it's (laughs) midnight here. Go meditate. Yeah. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.